0: Morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome. Glad you're here. And if you're joining us online, welcome to you as well. Glad to have you. Well, we were very excited about Bethel Extension, and when Terry Linhart was here last week to share with us, uh, who is the director of this program at Bethel University, he reminded us that this coming fall there are going to be approximately 18 extension sites around the Midwest. Uh, out of Bethel University in Mishawaka and we're very excited to be one of those Bethel by the way that name is a biblical name the beth in the first part of this compound word means house it's hebrew for house and the el the l in the, in the end of the word is means lord or translated god so bethel means the house of god and we are going to we're going to offer a college degree here at Union Chapel the house of god through the house of god And it's going to be very meaningful. So I hope that uh, if you're a student, you'll consider it. If you know students who will be looking for a college opportunity this fall, that you'll consider Bethel University here at Union Chapel. should be great. Well, we're going to continue and then conclude our series on, on faith and stewardship today. We've been talking about moving into 2021 by faith. We've been talking about faith, defining faith, overcoming faith, and uh, and practical ways that we can live out our faith and today i want to talk about the joy the joy of giving now let me just let me just offer this statement this is the theme statement for the whole message so if you get this this will be the right consideration many people would imagine that the opposite of fearful fearfulness in giving the opposite of fear in giving would be courage in giving or boldness in giving I want to submit to you that the opposite of fear in giving is joy in giving. It is the joy of the Lord which is our strength. Joy should be the focus. Joy should be the target. Joy in giving should be the goal of every person who follows Jesus. And I want to encourage you to think about that today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to our text. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Matthew 6, I'm going to read few verses there 19 to 21 our custom is to stand to honor god's word thank you for doing that as you're able and these are the red letters so this is jesus and he said do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal verse 21 for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And may God inspire us today through his truth, you may be seated. Thanks so much. Let me just uh, remind us that the human race is notorious for being afraid of the wrong things. Every human being has fears. We all have fears every day. Fears come and go. But generally speaking humans are notorious for being afraid of the wrong things at the wrong time many of man's ancient fears have been upended and a complete reversal of our thinking about them for example a man once feared that evil spirits were the cause of every time we had a headache so human beings in history someone would get a headache oh you have an evil spirit in your brain and so the remedy for that it was to take an auger and bore a hole in the skull to let them out So one fear was overcome by another fear. Uh, The witches in Salem, Massachusetts, was gradually replaced by the fear of a judicial system that was starting to behave like a bunch of lunatics. Craziness ensued. For centuries, the fear of falling off the edge of the planet. Europeans thought that the world was flat, and if we took a sailing ship and we went west uh, toward what they thought was a new world out there, that they might fall off before they got there. And so their fear of falling off the edge of the earth eventually became overcome by the wonderful opportunities and resources that existed in the new world. America was then discovered. Children fear the first day of school. But wisdom prevails when we begin to fear growing up without an education. Uh, Fear going to the dentist is outweighed eventually against the fear of losing your teeth to, to neglect. And the list goes on and on. Everybody experiences fear. For most of us, not a day goes by without some element of it. And one way to fight fear is to supplant it with other fears that outrank it. In this case, fear can actually be a good thing. The fear of danger can be beneficial when it preserves your life. I mean, you know, if there's a storm, you, get, you take cover. If, if a bear is chasing you, you run. And this is good. The fear of failure is productive when it spurs us toward success. Proverbs teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is Proverbs 10, 9. So the idea isn't to avoid fear, but to choose our fears wisely. We become irrational, though, when we fear the wrong things. So prioritizing our fears improperly can actually put us in greater jeopardy. The sooner you spread out your fears out on the table, prioritize them, the better. And this is our first point, sorting our fears. Sorting our fears. Now, here's a truth. Now, listen, listen to your pastor. Come back to me for a second. Here's a truth. No one can fear two things equally at the same time. One fear will always dominate the other, outweigh the other. So it requires wisdom to sort through your fears. And the more threatening the fears might be, the more difficult it is to stay rational and find the wisdom of God as you sort out your fears. Let me illustrate it another way. Which ranks higher? Which fear is higher? The fear of reporting physical abuse or the fear of keeping it quiet? You know, abuse victims struggle to know the difference. Which fear is greater? It's the same on a global level. Is it more fearful to confront the manipulation and tyranny of, of, say, a China and their leader, Xi Jinping, or Russia's Vladimir Putin, or North Korea's rocket man, Is it better to confront those powers of tyranny in the world or not? More terrifying to ignore it. When it comes to your money, for example, bring it down to a personal level. What should you fear most? Should you fear losing God's favor, God's presence, God's blessing in that area of your life? Or do you fear the what ifs? What if this happens? What if that happens in life? Which do you fear the most? Think about it. Not having enough or not having the involvement of your heavenly father in that part of your life. Your answer to that question will determine how you live your life and decisions you make in the future. Jesus illustrates this perfectly for us in a parable he told in Matthew chapter 25. This is the parable of the talents. You've heard this parable perhaps and there was a master, a Landowner who gave servants, stewards, managers, different talents, different levels of talents. Some 10, some five, some two. One guy got one talent. And the guy that got one talent, after hearing the master say, I want you guys to invest what I've given you, these talents, so that when I return, you can give me back what you owe me plus what you have produced in the investment. And so the master goes away in Jesus' story and these guys start investing their talents, except the guy with one talent. He is a little afraid. Now, he's sorting his fears, and he sorts out his fear, and, the, and one fear overrides his other fear so that he takes the one talent he has and he buries it. He reasons. When the master comes back, at least I'll give him what he gave me, so I'll return in full what he had given to me as a talent. Uh, he actually says to the, in the text, verses 24 and 25 of Matthew 25, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, so I was afraid. There it is. Went out and hid your talent in the ground. So he thought it would be better to play it safe so he could give back what the master was owed, what he thought wrong. He thought very wrong. Jesus, remembers telling the story. Now suddenly, a new fear grips the steward's heart as he realizes the full consequences of his actions. He thinks that playing it safe and burying his talent in the ground rather than obeying the master's command to invest it was the better idea. But when the master came home, the master goes into a rant. And he says, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, what? Wow. And so one man's fear of Disappointing the master and burying the talent so that he could give it back to him when he gets back now is overcome by a greater fear, which is there's punishment. There's there's extreme disadvantage to not obeying what the master asks you to do. Let me ask you one more time. What do you fear the most? Think about it. Not having enough or not having the involvement of your heavenly father in the realm of your finances. Which is a greater fear for you? So we have to sort our fears. Now, here's a second thought, and I just have three brief thoughts this morning about this joy of giving. And the second thought is this that there will come a time when it expires. Time's up, time expires. Now, most of you are familiar with the book and Academy Award-winning movie Schindler's List. I assume most of you adults have all seen this movie. It chronicles this true story of one man's effort to make the most of a desperate opportunity as the director of a munitions factory in Nazi Germany, Oskar Schindler decides to leverage his position to save the lives of Jews. By employing them in his factory, Schindler is able to pluck condemned Jews from the gas chamber. But keeping them on is costly. Little by little, he liquidates his personal possessions in order to keep the business productive and underwrite the lives of the employees. Carefully, he budgets his resources to help as many people as possible without going under financially. At the end of the story, as you recall, the Nazis are defeated. The full weight of Schindler's efforts is finally revealed as the dead are counted and the living stagger back into freedom. In the midst of this denouement, this climax, this conclusion, Oscar Schindler has a startling realization. He could have saved even more. Overwhelmed with horrifying regret, he laments the few goods still remaining in his possession, goods that could have been liquidated to save the Jews from death. If only he had known when the war would end, he could have done more. But now it's too late. Time's up. Opportunity passed. Time's expired. Here's how it played out in the movie. Check it out. Of course, uh, Oscar Schindler was a hero. He's credited with saving more people during World War II than any other single person. And by the way, I can't watch that scene without becoming emotional myself. Interestingly enough, though, all he could think about was what he didn't do. What he didn't do. He wished he'd done more. And we can learn a powerful lesson, can't we, about giving from this example? Because in the same way, even those of us who are generous and continue to be generous will probably look back on our lives and wish we'd given more. And for those who never really got into the practice of giving, Never really sowed or invested the talents that God has placed at your disposal. Think about that when you have to give an account someday for the way you managed your finances. Listen, if we allow our fear of poverty to control us, and it threatens to do that from time to time in the world, uncertain financial status, economic ups and downs, of course, right now things are down. And there's lots of pressure points. But even more, shouldn't we fear at the end, losing everything? If we could apply wisdom and start to to avert the inevitable fear and regret, then we'll have nothing to fear at the end. In many ways, Oscar Schindler was the embodiment of Jesus' words when he said, look at John 12, 25 with me on the screen, the man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So by looking beyond the temporary to the eternal, Oscar Schindler and all the rest of us who find the courage to sow what lasts forever discover a most profound truth. We discover this. If you haven't learned this very powerful truth, I hope you'll learn it today, and I'll put it on the screen because I I want you to comprehend it. What is given away cannot be taken away. Whatever you sacrifice to gain for God's kingdom, you can never lose. Do you believe that? That's the truth. That is the truth. Money invested in God's kingdom is immediately out of reach of the most turbulent economic conditions. Immediately. It is the most secure of all investments. Jesus said it this way, store up your treasures in heaven The world's corruption can't reach it there, cannot reach it there, cannot touch it there, cannot go there, cannot manipulate it there, cannot steal it there, cannot erode it there. Once you store up your treasure in heaven, it is secure, ultimately secure. Now listen, financial uncertainty is a reality in our world. Markets go up, markets go down, etc. As much as we work to insulate ourselves from all of these eventualities, the truth is none of us is completely immune to the economic upheaval of our world. What we can be sure of is the assurance of today's text. Look at it again. Matthew six twenty: Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. One of these days it's going to be time's up. What do you want to experience that day? Here's the last point. For the joy of it. For the joy of it. I want to leave you with a clear bullseye on the target of fearless, faith-filled giving. The crowning achievement of overcoming the fear of giving is the moment you begin to experience the joy of giving. That's it. That's what you want to go for. That's the experience you want to have. Not just the have to give or got to give or I'm obedient and I give I'm not happy about it but I'm doing it but the moment when opening your heart and opening your hands for the purposes of God and the extension of the kingdom of Christ actually brings joy to your life that's where the power is that's where the faith is that's where the courage is that's where the strength is the joy of the Lord is my strength So if I could impart one target for you to shoot for, joy would be it. It's more about a condition of the heart. And again, the opposite of a fearful heart is not a courageous heart, not in the area of giving. It is a joyful heart. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's no better way to measure it. You'll know you've gotten beyond your fear when you begin to experience joy in the act of giving. It may not happen instantly. It may not come gradually. It may happen in such a way that you hardly notice it. Maybe it happened for you. This is the way it happens for me. There are seasons of my life when I'm giving it and it brings so much joy. I so encouraged so excited. Beth and I can reminisce about times when we gave our last dollar to some special thing. <laughs> Years ago, we took up a special offering for a young couple in our church and the church was very small then. And so we knew this couple and they were both in grad school at Ball State and they had two small children and they were living on beans. And and we just sensed that they could use a boost one night in a, in a, in a service. And so we decided to take up an offering for them. And I asked Beth that night, she had the checkbook in her purse. I said, how much money do we have? And she said, we have $54.18. <laughs> And this was just after we'd been paid. So that $52, that was going to last us the next two weeks. You guys, I know lots of you resonate with this story. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, you know, we got anything in the cupboard? She said, we can make it work. And I said, let's give them everything we have. I just wrote a check for the total amount. And it was so joyful. We, We reminisce about that. This, it was so exciting. It was so much fun. It was so strengthening. It was so great. We had just a little puddle of people in a meeting that night, and raised over seven hundred dollars in an offering. Gave it to that young couple, and you know they could pay their rent and buy some groceries. And they were in tears, and it was just blessed and joyful, and we loved it. At some point, giving must move from I have to, from that column to the I want to column of our lives. And when we do, giving becomes an exciting, passion-filled act of worship. Let me ask you this question. Listen, can you answer these questions honestly? Is giving a passion for you? Are you passionate about it? Does it feel like an act of worship that your giving actually brings to God praise, thankfulness, gratitude, worship? Does giving bring you joy? If it doesn't, can I encourage you? That's where you want to go. That's where you want to head. That's where you want want to live. Let me tell you about Donald Rauer. Uh, He was not big on giving. Middle manager in a large manufacturing company. He worked hard every penny he earned. Uh, 60-hour work week, his division in the company was always the top producers. His favorite saying around all of his workers was, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Can I get an amen? You know, here's here's a guy, you know, he puts his nose to the grindstone and he works hard and he doesn't have much, he doesn't have much sympathy for folks who don't get that kind of ethic, He was self-made, knew the value of a dollar, was devoted to an economic philosophy that left no room for giving, no room for philanthropy. Folks ought to take care of their own business. I take care of my business, others ought to take care of their business. So he had no place for it. Then one day, Donald got a phone call that would change his life. Donald had a soul living relative, his uncle Mike. And his Uncle Mike had passed away, and he left Donald a large sum of money. In fact, it was $2 million. So Donald wouldn't inherit the $1 million, but there was a caveat on the second million. His Uncle Mike had put it in a foundation and left orders to Donald, the new executor of this foundation, that over the course of the next 12 years, he was to dispense this $1 million out of the foundation for benevolent causes. And this didn't set well with Donald, but he was dutiful, as you can imagine. And so he went about trying to decide how to distribute a million dollars. And according to his uncle's wishes, he decided on a handful of organizations that even Donald found to be above reproach. I mean, he scrutinized and vetted numbers of charities, hoping to find something wrong with them so he could withhold from them because that was just his worldview, And as if conceding defeat, Donald finally began to allocate small sums to each of these selected charities. What happened next was nothing short of a miracle. You see where this is going, can't you? In the months that followed, Donald began to receive reports on the work that was being accomplished by his reluctant gifts. Starving people were being fed, abandoned children were receiving medical treatment. Itinerant farmers were taught to cultivate crops to feed their villages. Donald showed a little interest at first, but his tough shell began to soften as he tracked the progress of these beneficiaries throughout the year, and eventually Donald began making annual treks so he could see his gifts at work firsthand. That's dangerous. Before long, he became captivated. Now let's shorten the story. Donald ended up taking semi-retirement from the plant in order to spend his summers as a volunteer relief worker. Eventually, Donald pioneered an exchange program that brought third world families to the United States for a year of agricultural training. For eight years, Donald's involvement in relief work escalated. With each passing year, he gave more of his time and more of the foundation's money. Because of his enthusiasm, Donald fulfilled his uncle's wishes four years ahead of schedule. So he gave away the million dollars in eight years rather than 12. And when the money ran out, he did the unthinkable he began transferring his own nest egg over to the foundation. (laughs) Sorry, I I never know when this is going to hit me. To offset the depletion rate of his growing philanthropic efforts, Donald retitled a large portion of his own estate to start an endowment fund for the foundation. Most of his salary and pension from the plant went directly into an operating account for the relief work. He finally retired from the plant at the age of 71 and remained active in the involvement of the foundation's work until his death at age 86. By the time he died, Donald's life was completely devoted to extending compassion to those in need. Now, let me just remind us all, in summary, that the most astonishing thing about Donald's life was not the impact he made through his gifts. That's not the point here. That's not the most important thing. But rather the impact the gifts had on his life. Now think about this. When Donald started giving out of this foundation, think about it for a moment. This must have been relatively easy for him. Even though he hesitated and and was reluctant, it was relatively easy. Made possible, at least, by the fact that this money, this million dollars, wasn't his wasn't his money. What's it? What's it to him? My uncle Mike gave me a million dollars Said, give this away. Well, it's fairly easy at first, I would assume, to give away somebody else's money. And I'm sure Donald assumed, well, this isn't going to have any effect on me personally. It's not my money. It's not going to change my life in any way personally. So, you know, start giving it away. But as he began to be generous, as he began to see The great blessing it is to give, which is greater than receiving. And the favor of God and the pleasure of God and the touch of God and the presence of God and the peace of God began to touch his own life. This is what happens to people who are generous. Generous people are the happiest people in the world. They're the most joyful people in the world. There are no exceptions to this. Generous people, generous with their emotions, generous with their words, generous with their time, generous with their talents, generous with their money. People who are generous people in life are the happiest people in the world. And Donald began to live this lesson. And he then began to experience, actually becoming seduced by something that every single last one of us was created to experience. He began to experience it, just like God wants all of us to experience it. And it's very simply this, the joy of giving. The joy of it. The simple joy of it. Now, when we try to understand Donald's position early on, it's not his money, it's not going to affect him. Let's pause there for a moment. Wait a minute. Actually, we are having Donald's experience Because as it turns out, everything in our possession, every ability, every talent, every nuance of capacity, every virtue that we possess, every asset in our possession comes from God. All of it. Turns out, we're not the owner. God's the owner. We're in the same position Donald was in. He rationalized, well, it's my uncle's money, so what's a big deal? We should rationalize the same way. It's not my money. Because literally, it is not. All of it is the gift of God. God is the owner. We're the manager. God, God is the originator of every good and perfect thing. We are the steward. That's it. That's the truth. And God wants us all to grow into a place in our own lives just like Donald did where our motivation no longer becomes have to, got to, pastor won't leave me alone until I do, but I get to, I want to. I find joy in it. I find the blessing of God in it. I find favor in it. And so when I sort my fears I'm much more fearful of not having God's hand on my life in this area than I'm afraid of not having enough or coming up short. So friends, today I want to challenge and encourage you to shoot for joy in your giving. Make that your goal. Make that your target. For where your treasure is There your heart will be also. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, near your seat today, you you will find this document, this card. If you can put your hands on it, that would be fantastic. We do this every year at Union Chapel. If you are online watching today, two places where you can get this this document. One is on the website, unionchapel.com. Just click on events and, and go down to the stewardship response first thing you'll see on under event tab stewardship response if you use your smartphone just use the app open the app and right below the connect card as soon as you click on the app you'll see stewardship response that's it click on that you see our theme into 2021 by faith if you flip this over you'll see this dark blue section on the top This is just right out of the Financial Peace University playbook, get on a budget, get out of debt, build great relationships, save and invest, give generously. The last statement in that blue section, I want you to look at it with me. God did not design giving because he needs it or because the church needs it. God designed giving because we need it. There are skeptics within the sound of my voice today. Maybe you're in the room today. Maybe you're suspicious You're suspicious of my motives. Perhaps you've even grown cynical about it. All Christians want are your money. Preachers talk about money because the church needs money. Listen to me. Listen to me. God doesn't need anything that you have. He's doing just fine before you got here. He'll be fine after you're gone. And second of all, the church doesn't need your money. You're not the source of the life of the church. God is our source. Now he would prefer that you play along because it's best for you. Not because he needs it or we need it, it's because you need it. This is where the blessing of God flows to people's lives. I love talking on this subject. If it was up to me, I'd do this every week for 52 weeks a year. we don't have four people in church, but (laughs) but it would be great. Okay, you four. Turn to Matthew. Because <laughs> I love the subject. Because I know when you get this part of your life right, this, this, this is how you live under an open heaven. This is how the blessing of God flows. This is how joy, the fruit of the spirit, comes to your life. It's such an important key. It's so important. And that's why I enjoy talking about it because it impacts people's lives so profoundly. It's not about the money. It's never about that. You say, well, I, I bet the church needs money right now. No. No, we don't. Why? Well, 2020 must have been a rough year for the church, not, not financially. All of our bills are paid. All of our budgets were met. Our general budget was met in 2020. All of our missions giving was met in 2020. Union Chapel has not taken one quarter of a step backwards we 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 have gone full speed ahead full speed ahead full full speed into into our mission in 2020 and now as 2021 opens up we are on point we are on mission we have enough our needs are met don't i'm telling you the truth this isn't about the church this isn't about god's neediness poor jesus needs more money this is about you this is about you and the opportunity for you to take a step in your faith and to expand your trust in God and overcome your fears. It's a great opportunity. So there are three ways that you can respond to this. This a little tear-off portion on the bottom. Three places you can check. One is I will continue to tithe. That's for folks who have already found the joy of giving and honor God with their tithe. That's the box that Beth and I check every year at this time. Or I will start to tithe. That's a second option. Maybe you've been given 2% of your income, 3%, 5%, and you want to become obedient at this point of your life and you want to start tithing. So I'm going to start. For the first time in my life, I'm going to do it. Now, here's the deal. If you start tithing to the church, here's here's the money-back guarantee. At Union Chapel, we give you a 90-day money-back guarantee. 90-day money-back guarantee. If you start tithing... This is not a joke. Just as serious as I can be. And the reason I'm serious about this is because God will not be indebted to you. That's not his way. It's not his, not his, not his move. So if you've not been tithing and you start tithing, and 90 days from now you realize I can't pay my bills, I can't make it, I can't keep this up, but you know, I wish I hadn't given all that money to the church, you just make, send one email, send one text to me. Make one phone call to the office, ask for me. I've been tithing, I got, and I need to talk to the pastor. And you, so you'll tell me I started tithing, and I can't pay my bills. Could, and so I'm telling you. You told me to tell you, and I'm telling you. Here's what I'll do. I'll find out how much money you've given over the last 90 days. I'll give it all back. And then if that's not enough, then I'll give you more money to help pay your bills because, you know, you're sad. And so, we, so we'll help you. Money, 90-day money back guarantee. It, you know, this is, this is the one place in the whole Scripture where God says, you can test me on this one. There are places in the Scripture where God says, I wouldn't test me on that. I wouldn't push me on that one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't push your luck on that deal. But in this category, he says, see if I won't open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing that you can't contain. Test me now on this, says the Lord. So God's open to the test. So we give a 90 day money back guarantee. Then the third option is I'll increase my giving with a view toward tithing. These are This is for folks who are now taking Financial Peace University. You know it's free right now. You can get online and take it free right now. All you have to do is sign up. It's free and take Financial Peace and you'll learn how to get on a budget, get out of debt, save and invest, start giving generously. And so your finances aren't in order right now because you haven't been following God's principles of finances. And so you need to learn these disciplines and get your financial life in order. And as you do that, you'll begin to see that there's more margin for you to give. And so you're a person who will increase your giving with a view toward tithing. I can't tithe right now, but one day I want to be able to when I get my financial order. And so maybe you're not giving anything. You'll start giving something. Maybe you're giving 1%. I want to increase it to 2%. Wherever you are in the continuum, this is you. I'll increase my giving with a view toward tithing. So if you just check one of those boxes, sign your name, drop it off at one of the kiosks on your way out today, I'll send you a letter this week just to encourage you. And if you're online and you're accessing this stewardship response online, again, those options are there. Check one of the boxes and we'll send you a letter to encourage you. Are you good? Are you clear? So you can fill this out. Well, let's pause just for a moment and let's pray about these things. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. God, you are, you are a good God and you have laid before us this wonderful opportunity to be part of what you are doing in the world. And Lord, as we align ourselves with what you're doing and we find ourselves open-hearted and open-handed, we thank you that your blessing flows. So change our hearts today about this subject. Change the way we think about it and fill our hearts with joy. Fill our minds with peace. God, help us to more and more trust you and to walk by faith. Now for 2021, we thank you for your blessing which comes upon us and overtakes us. Each one of us, each of our families, our church as a whole, thank you for your blessing, God we give you praise for your faithfulness and goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?